Welcome into Good Karma Wrestling. This is GKW. I'm Gabe Neitzel from ESPN Milwaukee. With me, as always, Brian Rowitz from ESPN West Palm. And I thought I honestly thought about putting on a black a bow tie myself, uh, but Jonathan Hood from ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Uh, it is a special show here at GKW. We've reached the mostly end of the year, and we decided we are going to give out our GKW awards. So here's the mat. Here's here's the order we're going to go. We're going to give our match of the year, moment of the year, feud of the year, promotion of the year, the event of the year, and then the female and male wrestlers of the year. I feel like we can use wrestlers again because Triple H is in charge of WWE. We don't have to necessarily call them superstar. So we begin with our match of the year, which I I think for us, this is one of the hardest ones potentially because we give out a match of the week each and every week here on GKW at the end of the show. Uh, So what did you guys have as your match of the year? Okay. Well, this one, they're they're all very difficult because this has been a great year of wrestling for 2022. So I wrote down um, for my match of the year. As a matter of fact, here's what we'll do. We'll give our choices, and then if you have a second and third choice, we can throw it out just for brevity. So I wrote down two out of three falls FTR against Briscoes, and I know they had a trilogy. That was probably my favorite match. Nothing against the dog collar match, bro, but I thought that the two out of three falls FTR against Briscoes, and meant a lot to me because I'm a tag team wrestling mark over the years, and just to see tag team wrestling come back in a big way, uh, on an ROH um, platform, I thought was fantastic. Those those four have great chemistry, and we saw it all year in 2022. So it's funny. You talk about sort of the tugging of the heartstrings and you have the connection to tag team wrestling. I'm also going FTR Briscoes, but I'm going number one. So Mania Weekend in Dallas, Ring of Honor. And to me, the sort of like emotional connection was after the match. The lights go out. The Bucks are there. Like it felt like they were in a bingo hall in Philadelphia. Like seeing that and seeing those two teams in the ring for the first time. And it is crazy. And, you know, we talked about it last week where as good as a dog collar match is, you almost had to step back and be like, all right, was this the best one or were the other one? And not getting caught up in the moment. But, yeah, those two teams, they're pretty good at this wrestling thing. <laughs> well, Jay Hood took the second. You took the first. I'm going to go ahead and take the double dog collar match. because <laughs> Come on. <laughs> all right. Let's stop tape. We're starting over. Three, two, one. Because and the reason why, so I went back and forth between the double dog collar and the two out of three falls. I went back and I watched both of them, and it's just for the third one coming up with something different and unique and doing a double dog collar match, and then being able to take it to a different level after having the first two that they already had. That's why that one stood out more to me, and maybe it is a little bit more recency bias with it. But I mean, FDR and Bruce, I, I think just they. They have that chemistry, the same tag team chemistry that, by the way, I think that the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros have. Like when those two tag teams go off, like you get excited for it. I remember being there for the cage match at All Out in Chicago a couple of years ago. It was such, and you're going, man, I've seen this so many times. How do they figure out a way to top it? And they find a way to top it, just like FTR and Briscoes did during the double dog collar match just a couple of weeks ago. So that's my match of the year. Um I also threw, I, I, I debated, I mean, it wasn't much of a debate. It was kind of between those FTR matches, but I want to have a special shout out for the Lesnar versus Roman match at SummerSlam. And I understand that's not a technical masterpiece, but it was a match we've seen so many times in WWE, but the cowboy farmer, whatever, you know, rural character you want to describe Brock as and him driving a literal tractor to the ring and then lifting the ring up. It was some, they had to find a way to make it different. 
They found a way to make it different. They found a way to keep Brock engaged for 20 plus minutes. So that was on my short list of, of matches of the year. Again, not a technical Meltzer five-star masterpiece, but one that was wildly entertaining that I absolutely loved. Uh, two more for me that was just consolation prizes. One, uh, Cody, Seth, uh, Hell in a Cell in Chicago. Like that's, I mean, what a great feud, number one. But number two, just it's something that we didn't expect to see. We didn't expect to see Cody Rhodes beat Seth three times, which we did in 2022. Um, Sheamus and Gunther um, was an amazing match at Clash of the Castle. It was the best match at Clash of the Castle for me. Danielson Page in New York City, 30-minute uh, classic. I thought it was a very great match as well. There's a lot to choose from, but those are just a, a few off the top of my head. So disappointed you guys didn't go Flair's last match. I mean, you talk about technical masterpieces. <laughs> Flair was able to persevere through that match. And, you know, the last right. time of 2022. <laughs> this could be a Jeff Jarrett-free zone, but you, son of a bitch, had to bring up Jeff Jarrett, didn't you? Even though he was indirect, you still had to do it. I was really hoping, had to see him last night on TV. <laughs> I didn't want to have to talk about it today, and now here you are making me talk about it. That, that is accurate. That is fair. I mean, some <laughs> other, the other ones I'm going to throw out, and he might come up later, but from a sheer wrestling standpoint, obviously Will Ospreay doesn't get the attention that he probably deserves because we're not watching him every week. But when we watch him, he goes out and performs. Him versus Cassidy at Forbidden Door, I think, sort of stole that show. It was a really good wrestling night. That, to me, was the highlight of that. And one that, you know, you had to search a little bit for it, but we talked about it. Him versus a 16-year-old in a random bingo hall with GCW. Versus that Wayne kid, uh, Nick, Nick Wayne, Wayne. versus yeah. Will Ospreay. Like, that was a damn good match. So those were there for me. And then WWE-wise, I agree that what you guys gave was fun. But Bianca versus Bailey in the ladder match, I think, was, you know, sort of the WWE match of the year. Like, those two really performed. I was really impressed by them. And I don't think we give enough credit to Street Profits and Usos. I guess probably the SummerSlam one, it's hard picking just one. But they had some damn good matches, and that was really before they became wrestlers again. So I think that sort of gives them bonus points that they were able to do something like that. Uh, that was a, a great match. It's one of the few times where the Usos have not lost. Uh, right. They've lost 11, <laughs> 11 straight times, by the way, as a tag team. <laughs> no one knows that, but it's like 11 straight nice. times in these non-title matches. So that those so those are our matches of the year. We now move on to moments of the year. What got? What did you guys have for your pro wrestling moment of the year? Uh, well, uh, you nailed it. The moment of the year, uh, Gabe Brock Lesnar with a tractor against Roman Reigns. Never seen that before where he lifts up the ring. That was a hell of a moment. Like it's, as you mentioned, you just laid it out for us in the previous uh, category. We've never seen anything quite like this before. It was a tremendous match and it was just laid out differently. But the idea that he brings a tractor in, lifts up the ring, and Roman rolls down like a Tootsie Roll all the way to the floor, uh, pretty tremendous. That was a great moment in wrestling in 2022 for me. See, to me, I'm going mania. Like, it's the Cody return. I think because of everything around it, and, you know, I feel like it was a month too much of, like, whoa, Cody's coming. Whoa, Cody's coming. They were tricking us into watching Raw every week when we didn't want to watch Raw every week. We were like, you know what? This might be the night. This is going to be the Cody night. And even with us knowing it was going to be that night, the anticipation, the change of, hey, here's the guy who created a rival company now coming back to work for Vince, that to me was sort of that moment. When you said mania, I thought there was only one place you were going because this to me was the easiest one. Like I've got on, on my on my notepad here, I've got multiple things written down in every category except for moment of the year. And it's Stone Cold. 
We got Stone Cold Steve Austin back-to-back at WrestleMania and didn't think we were getting him on that second night. Like it, The first night was fantastic, and props to Kevin Owens for doing the job for Stone Cold and being the type of match and putting together the type of match that Stone Cold could look good in. But then Stone Cold comes back out as, as a surprise on WrestleMania night two, and we get the Pat McAfee stunner moment which was awesome and then McAfee is just laying on the ground trying to drink more of Steve Weiser's we get him stunning Vince McMahon even though it wasn't that great but it was still a fun moment for everyone and he just starts stunning everybody like Stone Cold Steve Austin's return to professional wrestling happened and you're going with Cody Rhodes at Wrestlemania instead of Stone Cold Stone Cold Stone Cold I will say the fact that we all went WWE is sort of surprising to me where you know this wasn't a full Hunter year. We've talked and sung their praises the last few months, but there was a sort of a dark era earlier in the year where we're like, you know what? This isn't really fun to watch. It's sort of a drag to watch these premium live events, but they still sort of make those moments. So I guess to flip it and sort of extend the question, what is your AEW moment of the year then? That's that's a CM Punk press conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Him, him eating baked goods. And going and really destroying his own legacy in AEW was amazing to see in real time. I mean, I, and I'm just based on the list here. That's my my only like AEW moment. I should have been Jermaine Dupree uh, being on television. Like well, that's not. I mean, seriously, wa- watching that and it had nothing to do with like in ring, but it was attached to AEW. The idea sure. that he's he's there, and of course that leads into this big fight in the back with the Young Bucks and Omega. That's amazing storyline this year. But WWE. It's for the first half of the year, I mean, now under Triple H, they're still a wrestling company, but he seemingly still sub- subscribes to the idea that they're in the moments business, man. Sure. Like they, they come, whether it's Raw, whether it's SmackDown, they have a lot of things that happen that, like, oh, that's going to look really cool in the three minute video that we play at the pay per view in the run up to the match. Like they are a hundred, like they are in the business to create moments. That's what they're trying to do. So I, I don't think it's that shocking that. We have that where AEW isn't that they're in the business of putting together, you know, when we go through matches of the year, right. you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that we went ROH and AEW heavy in the matches of the year and then kind of threw the bone at the end to, to WWE. But I mean, I, I guess we have to talk about this at this point. Um, I mean, the, the moment of the year out of the ring wasn't even CM Punk. It was Vince right. McMahon's retirement. That happened this year, yeah. which is insane. Yeah, that's the story of that's not just the story of the year, the story of our wrestling lifetime. I, I I don't think that we're underselling it here on GKW. When that story broke and I'm calling Gabe and I said, Gabe, I mean, uh the Vince McMahon is gone. What? I mean I'm right there. And he did and, and he he runs to the studio. Like that's the biggest story in wrestling since the closing of WCW in the early two thousands. Like there's nothing bigger than Vince McMahon stepping away from the WWE. It's something I didn't think it would happen in, on, in the history of the show or my lifetime, but it's happened. Yeah, I agree with that. Because you look, I think we started this April-ish, and even that, the way that company has changed, the way the roster has changed, the way you know watching these shows has changed is because of that, because of the fact that Vince is no longer there. While that story is still going to have some legs in the future because I think he still is going to you know kick and scream, and I think ultimately the adults in the room are like, no, you're, you're actually done, Vince. So there'll still be times where it pops up, but like just to see some of these guys and girls come back, where it's like, oh, this is a completely different company, and we have two completely different companies to focus on when it comes to pro wrestling. Like that's insane that it happened in this calendar year. 
So that's moments of the year. We move on to feud of the year. This was one of the ones that was pretty tough for me. I've got a number of lists uh, of things that I've got listed here. Um, I will say that I gave heavy thought to FTR Briscoes, which makes a ton of sense given that we all picked a different FTR Briscoes match. But the fact that it couldn't really be featured on television, it'll, that eliminated FTR Briscoes from feud of the year for me because ultimately it ended up not being a feud other than a trilogy that we saw on the three ROH. We, we didn't get to see any buildup towards it. We didn't get to see any interaction outside of the pay-per-views. So I, I eliminated FTR Briscoes. So they were not my feud of the year. Uh, what did you guys have for your feud of the year? Uh, feud of the year, I wrote down CM Punk and MJF was a few of the year. And, and you know, I should have like four or five different choices here, but I don't. And as I was telling you guys before we hit record, it's just the lack of heat uh, and also the lack of sustainability when it comes to long-form storytelling. AEW is a little bit better than that, uh, than, than WWE when it comes to that, because they will extend a story. But I think that's too bad where you don't have like this big blood. We go to FTR and Briscoe's because it's a blood feud. But it's not one of these things, as you just laid out, where week to week it's building into something else. And week to week it's, it's building into something else. It was just these three one-offs in a lot of ways. And so for me, because of the build, and again, for people that don't remember, go back and just listen to the um, the promos from Punk and MJF and going back and forth and the dog collar match that they had. It was just uh, tremendous, you know, when CM Punk was healthy and all about AEW. Yeah, and that's the thing. You talk about building that heat and telling that storytelling. I feel like the key component to that is an MJF. You put him in there and you're like, okay, well, this is going to be fun. And to me, that's why like I had a couple here and they both involved MJF. It's MJF Punk or it was MJF Wardlow. Because the way they sort of told that story and Wardlow became such a star without some, you know, the obvious stuff we've seen, like that was fun and MJF was the key factor. The obvious, the reason I didn't go there is just because of the way it ended. That, you know, we had the payoff, but you also had all the drama of like, hey, is MJF actually going to show up to this show? And I think that sort of changed the ending of that one. For me, what I had for Feud of the Year, and it's one of the few long-term stories WWE had told, even with Vince there, Bianca versus Becky. It started at SummerSlam the previous year, and they actually told a really good story of Bianca coming full circle then the following SummerSlam and finally being able to get that belt off of Becky Lynch. And both characters, I think, throughout the course of that year ended up having nice twists, turns, you know, Becky becoming when, – when she initially came, you know, she was getting some some – you know, bad guy heat, some heel heat, but yeah. people still wanted to cheer her because she was back. And then she kind of became the full time, the, you know, the, the absolute heel um, holding on to that championship. And then, you know, Bianca able to beat her um, at this past SummerSlam. That to me was, was feud of the year. Uh, some other that I had on list on this list, kind of talking about FDR Briscoes and how they had to come up with different things like Reigns versus Lesnar. They did come up with different things at the beginning of the year from the rumble to WrestleMania. Again, it was a story that WWE has told many times. I think they did a pretty good job of it. Rhodes versus Rollins. Uh, the only feud really with Cody, the, the only feud we've had with Cody Rhodes in WWE. And of course, who could forget KO versus the Ezekiel family? You know, that was clearly, uh, you know, they've, they've brought that back. Feud of the year type of material. Just, you know, shout out to KO for making something that bad, that entertaining. Now, you know what? You laugh. You laugh at well, like KO and Ezekiel and that whole family. But why was that hotter than anything Bloodline versus blank? Yeah. Seriously. Like, like it, I think all three of us agree. 
that in 2022, the bloodline of that story is the best storyline in wrestling, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so who are they? Even when we got to War Games, when we talked about that and previewed it that week, like it was like, okay, who are they, who's the bloodline going to take on? And I said at the time, there is no real heat against the bloodline. If they're the top of the top, not just in WWE, but in the business, then there should be three or four guys, like a faction, like back in the days of like the Horseman against Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, that faction. It would be, you know, um, you know, the WWE, whatever faction that they had against two or three other people. Who, who's the faction against the bloodline? See, and so there that's, and there's a disconnect. They should, on this sheet should be few of the year bloodline versus someone or some faction, and it's not. And, and this is why we're kind of piecemealing this together of, I think, good choices by all three of us. But if the top storyline of the business does not have like a real um, uh, protagonist to go up against, then then what are you doing? Like, I, I, I'm i not bitching about who they are. I'm bitching about the, the creative of you don't have anything now except like Kevin Owens and whomever against the bloodline. It, that's that's not great. Right. Because there's no top heels in that company. Like. Even those guys who, like, on paper, they're the top heels, but they're still doing the catchphrases. They're still doing stuff with the crowd. Like, they're not the type of heel where you're like, man, I can't wait till someone gets them, which the MJF is. So that, to me, is where that disconnect is from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, like, Brawling Brutes versus Imperium was... If you want to talk about like faction on faction sure. WWE like that, they did a they've shown you they can do it right. Like oh hey, we told this rel relatively interesting story with Imperium and and the Brawling Brutes and had the match that that you mentioned earlier, uh, Jay Hood with with Sheamus and 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 Gunther at at Clash of the Castle. Yeah. So they've shown you they can do it, but they just didn't build up. It, it was individual feuds, and actually, one of the more interesting feuds was probably. Jay Uso versus Sami Zayn within the bloodline. Like that was probably yeah. the if we if you want to talk about a storyline or a feud, like that was probably the most interesting feud that happened with the bloodline in terms of long-term storytelling. And so and and because of that, it goes back to a conversation we had earlier this year about okay, so the bloodline's the hottest, and now and all of a sudden, and bro it's in on it, all of a sudden you got cool heels, cool heels that kill the business. <laughs> like that, like like there's this like this new NWO, right? Everybody wants their merch. Everybody wants to be Usi. Everybody wants to be with Sami Zayn. I get it. All right, so you're cool heels. Okay, while you're doing this, where is that those list of contenders against Roman? Like the other side of the bloodline should be okay. We're gonna take down this bloodline because they're so dominant. They got all the belts. You got you got a unified champion here. You got tag team champions here. You know you've got a number of guys here that are dangerous. You got Paul Heyman. So we're gonna take them down. So where's that list of baby faces again against those guys? See yeah, the point? Like, like so because as you guys mentioned, it's it's one of the Usos against Sammy. That's the most interesting thing about the about the bloodline. Like, so while you're doing this, Triple H, outside of Kevin Owens, who else should be taking on? You should have a top contender to take on those, take off those tag team championships, someone to take out Roman, someone to take out Paul Heyman, Sammy. Yeah. You don't have it though. And I feel like we might look at it differently if the turn already happened. We talked about last week, like when that breakup's going to come, when they eventually go that route. Maybe if it happened already, we'd look at it a little bit differently because whoever comes out of it is going to be, you know, the other side of Roman. So maybe in that situation, we would have looked at it different. Yeah, but I, I have 
My guess is they probably already planned for that turn to happen. Like when they initially came up with, okay, when Sami Zayn joins, and it seemed like there was a very obvious tie with him and KO, and and I, I still believe that's going to happen, yes. right? And they're still teasing that. But Sami Zayn with the bloodline has been more popular and has hit a bigger home run than they could have possibly imagined, right? So they just, as a publicly traded company, even though I would have maybe preferred the turn to already happen, I understand why they may want to hold on to Sami Zayn when he's saying things like feeling oozy and he's turning it into merch that people want to buy. I will say, though, David, you talk about not having that, that other faction to feud with the bloodline. On the polar opposite, I don't want that either, which is, you know, JAS for BCC, which I think just completed year number 17 of feuding. So there has to be an in-between the two faction feuds. And that could have been because Anarchy in the Arena was such a fun match. It was such a good match. Mm-hmm. And then they took it further. And if if their Blood and Games match had been the, the actual blow-off of that feud, I think we could talk about that as potentially being feud of the year. But because it dragged on for 17,000 more months, like everyone's just tired of it and you're not going to talk about it as feud of the year. Yeah. Yes. Because it wasn't leading anywhere. That's that's the whole thing. Like it was, it was entertaining. Yes. But was it leading to anything big? No. It was just filler. That's what it was. And and good filler, but it didn't lead to like, hey, who's going to be the world champion, all that kind of stuff. So, well, even that, like it had that moment with like the Daniel Garcia stuff where you expected that face turn in him and Brian, which I think would have been a great payoff. Like the way they were sort of building to that, you know, Yuta building the BCC, like there were little things that were working and then just sort of did it. Well, AEW is the home of the T's, right? Right. (laughs) You mean Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter are still friends after that that six month T's? Like there's going to, didn't happen. They love the tease. They'd like to hey. give you a little taste, but then they're just it did go then it just goes away. I don't know what happens. Credit to them, they finally broke up swerving our glory. Like I wasn't yeah. actually sure it was going to happen, but you know, hey, tip of the cap to you. You did it seven months after you first teased it actually <laughs> happening and putting the belts on them. So, you know, hey, credit to them for yeah. for finally pulling the trigger on that one. I'm still expecting those two to tag together in the next month or two. (laughs) (laughs) Can they coexist? Who knows? (laughs) Keith Lee, the most vulnerable man in wrestling. (laughs) You know know what? As a matter of fact, Swerve, you're correct. I will tag with you one more time for you to beat my ass one more time. I think he's a very large man, according to sources. I, I, I heard that too. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a manager of the year category, I think, in uh, next year. It's gonna be the big boss, Rick Ross. Rick Ross. Uh, so that brings us to promotion of the year. Who was the promotion of the year in professional wrestling? The promotion of the year was the WWE. And and I have reasons why. So SmackDown is the biggest show on television. And I know that we have criticized their booking. It's like they take it for granted because they put so much time into a three-hour Raw. But do you notice the ratings every time? Like, we don't talk about the ratings very often on the show. But SmackDown continues to be 2 million and over. And the reason why is because they're on a national network platform that on cable. It's on Fox. And so even though that they'll say Raw is the worst Raw we've seen since July 4th, Raw is the worst, hey, man, they're against the National Football League. What are you going to do? I mean, any any numbers, and I think the three of us know because we're in the radio slash TV business, any numbers you can get today with streaming and, and people have all these other things they need to do, if you can draw any kind of number, it's a success. 
whatever you can do, man. Like, I, we're not going to get Monday Night War ratings again, where one at one company gets a four eight and the other one gets a four five. We're done with those days because things have changed. I think that the flagship show for the WWE is SmackDown, and I, it's bigger than Raw, bigger than Impact, better than Dynamite, better bigger than uh, Rampage. And I think that the reason why it's the biggest is because they're able to maintain a certain level with Vince stepping down. Some thought, well, if Vince is not there, then what's going to happen to the stock for the WWE? It went up without Vince. Okay, and So there's that. You have two nights of WrestleMania at, at Jury World. People thought, ah, the booking isn't good. Not sure if you're going to draw. It did just fine. SummerSlam was in Nissan Stadium. They've been asking for like 30 years since like Davy Boy, Bret Hart. When will you have a pay-per-view in the UK? They finally had one with Clash of the Castle. They had two shows for Crown Jewel. So financially, and for as far as eyeballs and YouTube and all the viral clips, the WWE continues to reign. While AEW has been steady, it has not been able to go up. Even I, I could draw a line from Demar I could draw a line of demarcation from CM Punk of that nonsense to the company going stagnant. The WWE with Roman Reigns, how are we gonna get the belts off of him and the Usos and blah blah blah? They still continue to draw, guys. So I've made my case. There's no question that the WWE is the promotion of the year, and AEW still got some work to do. So for me, with like this question, I sort of stepped back and looked at it as you know, as a fan, as a wrestling fan, like who is the promotion that I am enjoying watching the most? While WWE had those highs, and from a business standpoint, I think they're gonna be the king for a very long time. I think it's gonna be a while. If and when AEW ever catches them, it's going to be a long time till that happens. But for me as a wrestling fan, it's AEW because it's just more consistent. Like there was half the year where I didn't want to watch Mondays and Fridays. Like I'd read some results and we started doing this. So I was like, I guess I need to sort of keep a pulse on it and watch that way. Or pay-per-views where it's like, hey, I can pick and choose and just watch two matches. With AEW, I enjoy watching every Wednesday. I want to watch all two hours. I want to watch every pay-per-view. Rampage, you pick and choose a little bit, but it's only an hour, so it's not too bad. And WWE, even to that point, as much as they've you know, been on the rise since Vince left, we talked about last week, it still recently hasn't been that great. And there's been some things that Triple H sort of gets a pass for. So to me, that's why I sort of go AEW. Yes, there is room to grow. I think WWE next year from a wrestling standpoint could ultimately overtake them just from sheer wrestling because Hunter will have a full year to do his thing. I went with WWE as well for a lot of the same reasons that, that J-Hood did, but my, my my line of demarcation for them goes back to, and even though it produced a fun match that you mentioned earlier, Brian, it goes back to Forbidden Door. Sure. Like they had a ton of momentum coming out of Double or Nothing. So much momentum. I, I, I feel that was the most excited all three of us were about AEW, wondering, oh man, what are they going to do this summer? And then you have the injuries, obviously, which hurts. And maybe that led even, you know, with, with Punk coming back and you have Punk leaving the company. Well, I guess not leaving the company. He's just not on television right now as they try to figure out what the hell to do with his contract. But between that and just kind of some nonsensical storyline telling and from Triple H coming back, like if you had asked me this question, yeah, back in May, it probably would have been AEW. But the fact that WWE since then has put out a much more, to me, consistent product because we do still have a lot of inconsistencies with AEW, with their storytelling. They have some stars there that can kind of come in and save the day. And I also pay attention to the, the disgruntledness that's going on. Like hey, CM Punk handled it the wrong way. But I think he's probably got some points about the Young Bucks and the Elite. 
clearly there's something, you know, I, I don't think that everything MJF did was 100% to work. Like, I think there were some issues that led to him taking a step away from the company before ultimately coming back and now being one of the top heels in the in the industry, the top heel clearly in that company, and now the AEW champ. So I look at WWE and the way that they have really rallied with Triple H in charge and him not being afraid to try new things like Survivor Series War Games, which may or may not have hit depending upon how you feel, but he's willing to take more risks. And I've, I've got WWE as my promotion of the year. The thing I is with just, AEW, you mentioned yeah. the game. I'm curious to see how different it would have been if not for the injuries. Obviously, it's wrestling. It's going to happen. But for you to try twice to have the summer of Punk, like Punk winning the title should have been the moment of the year. He's gone for all that time. For him to be back in wrestling, to be a world champion, that's your moment right there. You tried it twice. You never got a defense out of him. Like that changes the course of things. And I'm always going to be curious about what that could have been because I feel like brawl out doesn't happen if Punk is healthy and happy to be the champion. I'm really curious about what the future will hold for AEW because they're going with the WCW model of let's get all these guys off of WWE TV and put them on our TV because they were a name in the WWE. And so they're, so we need them for eyeballs. Nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I think that they're going the right direction by having MJF as a champion because that's a homegrown talent. That does matter. When, you have, uh, when you've got um, – the uh, the two kids that are the tag team champions, they claimed they claimed yep. as the tag team champions. I think that's a good thing for this company as well, um, because ultimately, if you're trying to survive, you start at, at a great moment by having like Jericho and and Cody Rhodes for a long time, the the veterans on this roster. But ultimately, to sustain yourself, you've got to be able to make stars. And I think that you have a lot of young stars there that you can make and say, you know what, AEW is interesting because it's not just WWE light or just a whole bunch of WWE guys getting over. I think that that does matter. Um, but the hope hope is is that it, uh, AEW doesn't do what WCW did and ride with those WWE guys so much that they're like, okay, this company's cool, but I'm going to leave. And then you're left with nothing because that's what happened to WCW after a while. It's like, okay, so all those guys, the Halls and the Nashes and the X, all those guys went back to Vince, right? And so hopefully from AEW standpoint, they can be able to cultivate that young talent and for them to be the stars and the ex-WWE people in the back. I mean, that's where they're at right now. Like, they're champions. You mentioned it. Like, they're AEW people. They're not really – like, Samoa Joe is a TNT champion, but he's not really a WWE guy. Like, yes, he was right. there, but you don't associate him with that company. So, between him, MJF, Acclaim, Jade Cargill, Jamie, like, these are sort of the new stars. And I think this is sort of them saying, hey, these are our people. We're going to move forward with it. I'm surprised uh, that you didn't go with Impact as the promotion of the year, J-Hood, but that's just me. You know, seeing as how you're always in a hurry to get out of the show on Thursday nights to make sure you catch uh, Impact Wrestling every Thursday. Where's the lie? <laughs> Hello? Anybody there? That could have been moment of the year right there. Probably <laughs> Fish talking to nobody in Louisville. Where's the lie? Hello? Impact fans, Hello? No one's here. <laughs> we move on to events of the year. In 2022, what was your guys' favorite events of the year? AW Revolution was my event of the year. And for those that don't remember, the main event, uh, Hangman Adam Page against Adam Cole for the AW Championship. I got myself a John Moxley, Brian Danielson singles match that lasted 21 minutes. 
I got myself a um, a Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Thunder Rosa solid match. And probably the one that stole it was uh, CM Punk against MJF, the dog collar match that lasts almost 30 minutes. There was some really great action in that match, in that particular card, uh, from top to bottom. And even though that was in Orlando, um, and I was going to lean Forbidden Door, but I think that that's going to be my card of the year. I think from top to bottom, I think they had, did a really great job. So I had the exact same show. And part of me was like, all right, how am I going to defend this? I also thought, so because it was in Orlando, I was there. I was like, ah, oh, my bias being there. The moment you mentioned, and then also on the pre-show, House of Black versus Pac, Penta, and Redbeard. Yeah. Like an amazing trio match. Eddie Kingston beat Chris Jericho that night. Like that yes. happened. Stretch like, plum. That was a thing. Yes. Yeah, I've never seen that move before. Like, um, Jericho really, he really taps out to a lot of weird things, doesn't he? Stretch <laughs> <laughs> <Much> plum. <laughs> the big giant the swing. Big like, what's swing. going on? Yeah, so you had the, uh, Jurassic Express win the tag titles that night. To yes. me, that was sort of the culmination of the Wardlow star making. He was one of the most over guys that night. He wins the ladder match. Then he's involved in Punk and Mox. Um, and then just, yeah, all that stuff that you mentioned as well. Like, that was a solid show. It was a fun show. Obviously, they're always going to be great wrestling shows. But I felt like you had some star making also with Wardlow. At the time, you were hopeful maybe there was something more there with Eddie Kingston. But I went Revolution as well. So I went double or nothing. Because that was the best I felt about probably any wrestling company coming out of a pay-per-view all year. I mean, I felt fantastic. You had Wardlow defeating MJF. I understand that was a squash, but people were into that in the symphony powerbomb that he just finally got his hands on MJF and Wardlow finally got to be freed. So you were able to build a star in Wardlow and he was super hot. You still had the Hardys on that card. Matt and Jeff wrestled the Young Bucks on that card. Uh, House of Black versus Death Triangle in a six-man tag match. Um, while I thought, while it was interesting that they decided to go with Adam Cole and Britt Baker as the uh, Hart Foundation tournament winners, you still had good matches with Adam Cole and Samoa Joe, Britt Baker and Ruby Soho. Uh, you had the anarchy, anarchy in the Arena match, which was so much fun uh, to to watch, and that was a fantastically put together match. Uh, you had a three way for the AEW Tag Team Championships with the Jurassic Express, Swerving Our Glory, Team Taz, back when they were still together. And then, of course, you had the big mat, the, the big night of CM Punk winning that from Adam Page. Everything went to hell after that, but that yeah. was an incredibly fun night of wrestling, and that was my favorite event that I got to see all year long. Well, you reminded me, God, boy, what a year we've had. Forgot that we got, got a chance to see Martha Hart for the first time since forever. Yeah. Because you mentioned yeah. like um, Dr. Britt Baker and Adam Cole winning that uh, that tournament, right? Forgot we saw Martha Hart like dancing around and like happy, like oh wow, look at the widow of Owen is back and she's happy. Yeah, that, I forgot that was part of the year too. Absolutely. Yeah, she basically gave the Owen sort of Hall of Fame speech that night. Like that, you had that special moment because of that. And it is interesting. Like we get those shows; they're fun shows. The one I feel like the three of us are most collectively just sort of excited about, and I think part of it was just sort of expectations, was SummerSlam. Like, I remember us doing the show that night, and we're like, guys, like, that was a lot of fun. Like, there weren't those five-star matches, but, like, when you come in and you're WWE Premium Live event, you're like, all right, here we go again. Like, that night was a pretty fun one on this year. Yeah, so, that was that was debated for me as, as was it going to be double or nothing or was it going to be SummerSlam? SummerSlam was definitely number two on my list. So here's the question. So why is it not WrestleMania? What, night one or night two? Because 
I feel because I feel we're we're so into it, right? So SummerSlam has become the, I guess, insider wrestling fans WrestleMania. Like WrestleMania is for a lot of casual fans. You got think about Sami Zayn's year. Sami Zayn went from WrestleMania and getting a bowling ball between the legs from Johnny Knoxville to now being one in the hottest storyline in professional wrestling. And like not being taken as a joke because of what he did in the inside war games, like being able to take out Kevin Owens and like, he's, he's no longer, he was a joke at, at WrestleMania, no longer a joke now. So I just think of some of those, you know, some of those matches, I, I guess that happened at WrestleMania where it's more about the spectacle and it's not purely about, you know, the storylines and professional wrestling. And, you know, we get the stone cold moments. Like Vince McMahon had a match at WrestleMania. Like yes. Vince McMahon decided, Oh, I'm going to put myself in there against Pat McAfee. Like that's what he decided to do. And that's why while WrestleMania can be fun, I, I can't imagine WrestleMania being in my event of the year anytime soon as a diehard professional wrestling fan. Yeah. Wow. Because that's the thing. Like it, I agree with you. It's for the casual fan. And when you have, you know, 19 hours of wrestling over two days where for every Becky versus Bianca, which is a hell of a match, Brock versus Roman sucked. Like that wasn't a good match. So like you have the spectacle, you have bad matches, you have good matches. Like there's just too much to make it just a solid overall card. Yeah. Both cards had Brock versus Roman. And we all know which one was better Brock versus Roman. Right. It was exactly. at SummerSlam. Yeah. And, and you know what? I don't think that's going to change even under Triple H. Nope. I don't. And I think. I don't think I it should change either. Like, yeah. again, if, if you're a publicly traded company and you're able to draw and you're able to fill a stadium on back-to-back nights and get the attention that you get by bringing in the Jake Pauls, by having Pat McAfee have a match, and even though McAfee had a match at SummerSlam as well, because he's, you know, he's ingrained in the WWE culture at this point, when you're bringing in the outside people, like, yeah, no, I, I understand what WrestleMania is. I'm not complaining about WrestleMania. I just know what it is. And it's not necessarily for me. I'm still watching. I'm still glued. But WrestleMania is more for the casual fan, for the the person that checks in. Oh, I wonder what's going on in professional wrestling. And they know that WrestleMania is the biggest night in pro wrestling. So they check in on that. And that's not for me, the diehard wrestling fan. That's what SummerSlam has become. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's really fair. I, I think it's very well said. I didn't think of it um, from that standpoint. But I guess even from WrestleMania 1, that's what it's always been for the casual fan. Oh, look, it's Liberace. Look, it's Muhammad Ali. Look, it's the Rockettes. So that's what Vince wanted it to be. So I totally get that. Um, I'm just looking at the card. So night one is probably better than night two because this is what we talked about earlier, what uh, Stone Cold and Kevin Owens. So that ended up being the main event. And then we got Bianca Belair against uh, Becky Lynch. We got uh, Cody Rhodes against Seth Rollins. Uh, Drew McIntyre uh, and and Happy Corbin. So and the Usos against uh, Nakamura and Rick Boogs. Yeah, who got uh, hurt so, in that match? Remember, he went down when he was trying to pick them up and tore something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so so I, I guess you're you're right. I only, the other thing I wrote down was Clash of the Castle as like a, as a second choice or a third choice. Hmm. Do you think leaving the cameras on too long at Clash of the Castle hurt them in in your rankings? So then you had to watch Tyson Fury sing American Pie. I'm still mad about it. Still angry. <laughs> still angry. <laughs> That's it. As talents as we are, we're wondering, like, hey, should that be off the air? What's going on here? Hey, good night, everybody. Shut this down. 
Because it, you know why? Because it took the piss out of it. That's why it did. Right? Because it did. we wanted. Because it was built up so well. You know, you talk about AEW the way they have their packages. WWE, you could tell this is Triple H is doing the packages, making you believe. You know, Drew can win this thing. It had me believing, like, boy, if they have all these packages for Drew, Drew's coming home. It's the UK. Hmm, he can actually win this thing. Then he loses. Like, oh, that's too bad. And then Michael Cole is still on the air. Like, why are they singing? I mean, I, I'd be pissed off. There's nothing to sing about. Why, why are people happy? 60,000 people wanted Drew McIntyre to win. Let's end with a song. It took the piss out of everything for me. And why are you singing American Pie in the UK? I don't understand. What's going on here? All right. We've 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 made it to our two <laughs> biggest awards of the evening. Our female wrestler of the year, male wrestler of the year. We go first with female wrestler of the year. For me, for both of these, I it was a two-person race. I'm curious to see what you guys uh, rank these as. But who is your female wrestler of the year? Bianca Belair. Rowitz? Uh, yeah, this was the easiest category. Like, you mentioned two people. I don't know how you get a second. Like, this is the further away, the runaway. Like, it's Britt one, and then everyone else is a very far second. Wait, so you had Britt? Sorry, Bianca. Sorry, Bianca. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, so that those were the two it was down to me for, was yeah. Bianca Belair or Britt Baker, because Britt is the, the biggest star yeah. in, in women's wrestling for AEW. But... I don't know if anybody had a better year than Bianca Belair. And I don't think they did in, in the female wrestling side. It's very obvious to me that she is a superstar in the making that she, if she at some point chooses to leave WWE and go the rock route, the who knows what's happening with Sasha Banks route, but whatever she wants to do, I think she can do. And she is an absolute star in, in professional wrestling. You, if, if we combine these, it would be really interesting to see like who would just be in general, the wrestler of the year, because I think she could make a very, very good case for that because she is a huge star. In her own category, Bianca Belair is the best that we have going. And so I was thinking before I wrote this down, I said, has she had some classics? Well, you know, it's funny that she's the best wrestler, female wrestler of the year, and she still is working towards something. Like, I don't think that, what we see is her ceiling. I think that there's more when she takes on like the Bianca Belair's. Uh, I'm sorry. When she takes on uh, those like Becky Lynch and others, it raises her game. Mm -hmm. And so when she takes on um, uh, a number of other superstars in WWE, I think it raised her game. Didn't she had a great match at crown jewel as well? Just recently guys. <sighs> yes. Uh... Okay, so she, again, her match of the year was the ladder Bailey. match with Bailey. Yeah. A fine match. I thought that was a really good match. I think that the more she's in there, the better that she gets. I wrote down Dr. Britt Baker. I wrote down Tony Storm. And I wrote down Jade Cargill as the other choices. Uh, listen, she's been undefeated. But the, as I've mentioned to you before, it, it was one thing when Goldberg was undefeated because it was working towards the title. She's a champion and undefeated. And it's kind of like, okay, how did this end? She's dominant. But then, like, there's five people. There's five women in the company I know that can beat her. And would have it would, yeah. would run circles around her. So I'm not sure what the dominance is about. I appreciate it because it's something to watch every week, but I don't know how this ends eventually. Yeah, I guess she's she's like Alabama, right? Like she goes undefeated in the college football season. Oh, okay. But then you're like, oh, but Alabama can't beat those pro teams. And the pro teams being Soraya, Britt Baker, Tony Storm, Jamie Hayter. 
Yes. You know, keep going. Sheeta after last <laughs> night. Like, Sheeta. yeah, there, I mean, there's she's she's yeah. not on. She's not in the upper echelon of the premier women talent in AEW. And that's the thing she's with Britt. Like Britt is, yes, the top female talent in AEW. But more often than not, when we talk female wrestling in AEW, we complain. They're like, oh, well, everyone's just going to get fed to Britt or there's no continuity or storytelling. So it's hard to put her up there on the same level as Bianca, especially because Bianca had that mainstream breakthrough this year. Like being in commercials, being on game day, like she's starting to just scratch the surface, like you said, Gabe, of all the things she can do. And, you know, maybe 23 is different. Maybe a Soraya being there changes things. But we still need to see more continuity from the women's wrestling in AEW. You know, maybe this, because of how popular Bianca has been, as you guys just mentioned, mainstream, maybe that's why they find Sasha Banks to be expendable. Fair. Because yeah. say, well, oh, 100%. It's like, it's like we got Bianca and she's going to, she's already a star. It's like, it's it's not like you, you shouldn't have more talent. What I'm saying is like, maybe they look at Bianca and says, well, Sasha, we have Bianca. So if you want to go to New Japan and do whatever you want to do on the Indies, that's fine. But we're riding with Bianca and riding with Bailey and Becky and Charlotte whenever she returns. And we're going to go with this group and then cultivate younger stars out of NXT and out of SmackDown and raise them up to be at a certain level as well. I am curious to see where Sasha falls into this category in 23. If she goes out there and just does her thing on the Indies and basically pulls the Cardona route, we're like, hey, I'm going to show up where I want. I'm going to wrestle who I want. Like how much of an impact that has on wrestling in twenty twenty three? She'll be on all, all the same cards as FTR and the on the Indies yes. in twenty twenty three. It'd be a package deal. They can ride together. If, <laughs> if, if it's her and FTR all on the same card, like I'm buying all of those. Like I'm gonna have to like figure out whatever password, whatever whatever alerts Rowitz gets for all those weird shows that me and J Hood don't watch. Like I'm gonna have yes. to start watching those now. <laughs> That's it. She'll be. It'll be the the, the the it'll be like FTR. It'll be. I think what is she going by? Mercedes Monet. I think that's going to be the name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know Mercedes. And, that's all. That's all I know. Like Mercedes and like like uh, Matt Cardona. They'll all be like on the same card. It's going to be great, man. That's going to be some great <laughs> banger indie matches. Uh, and I, and, but you guys didn't blink. I said Tony Storm too. Like I think she deserves consideration yeah. as well. She had the championship for a little bit. She did. Uh, she took it out of you know after an injury and and was able to come out of all out with it. And I think she. I'm not quite sure I liked the way she was necessarily booked. It always seemed like any feud she was in, she was kind of taking the back seat. That's not her fault. But she was still able to, to me, she was able to shine through to, in spite of that. Yeah, she's one of those people that is just an outstanding professional wrestler. So you put her in whatever situation, she's going to shine because of that. But yeah, I feel like there's just too much missing there when it came to her this year. Yep. So that brings us to our final award of the evening. Who do you have as your 2022 Male Wrestler of the Year. Uh, the head of the bloodline, Roman Reigns. Rowitz? See, I have him second. I have John Moxley. I think what he did in the ring and out of the ring. I feel like we talk about the issues in AEW. They haven't really been talked about the last few months. Yes, there have been some stuff, but I feel like him sticking around, him not going on vacation, like that was a big part of AEW sort of staying together and it not being the end of Brawl Out. There it is. Not going on vacation. That cinched it for you. The guy not yes. taking time off. You are a jerk. I mean, I mean, up the idea that the guy doesn't take time off because uh -huh. he's because he saved the company. That's why, yeah. right? Because that's Mister Team said, Player now. He's yeah, saving Rampage. Said, 
Yeah. He's well, losing an he... ear in picture in picture. That's Mr. Rampage. That's Mr. <laughs> Company guy right there. So what if he just said to Tony Khan, I don't care what's going on with CM Punk. I'm out of here. Is that, well, I mean, would you, would then, you Roman's, then, Roman's the, uh, then Roman ends up being number one, but he, <laughs> yeah. he didn't. And that's why Mox is number one. Um, and <laughs> that's, so again, no shock here, right? I'm the Mox Mark. So I'm going to say John Moxley over Roman Reigns. Oh. But it's also because... As, as good as Roman has been, he's part of a larger storyline that gets carried when he's not there. Like, again, and, and not the fault, Roman, that if, if you're able to get more money and work less, good on you, man. Go ahead and do that. Spend time with your family. Take less wear and tear on your body. But if I'm talking about the guy that did the most for professional wrestling this year, to me, it's John Moxley. Like, he was the guy that AEW leaned on when they went through tough stuff. And they he had to go through his own stuff and was was still overcoming that at the beginning of the year and puts together something that unfortunately didn't turn out the way that maybe they thought. Maybe because of all the injuries with BCC, with him and Brian Danielson, that was really cool at the beginning of the year. So he's got that. He's got being the world champ a couple of different times because they had to put it on him with injuries to CM Punk. And now, yeah, now he's just going on rampage and almost losing ears. Like he's he's bled more than anybody's bled in 2022. Like he's he is because he shows up and he's there each and every week, whether it's on rampage now, whether it's a part of dynamite, like Moxley being there week in and week out gave him the edge over Roman Reigns. He is number two on my list, Moxley, because he is showing up all the time. But without Roman Reigns, there's no bloodline. He's not because I only go with the guy with the number one storyline in wrestling, and that's Roman Reigns. And I know that you, uh, the three of us, may not like the idea that he just comes in and out when he pleases. Uh, that that on Raw, I know that background anywhere. That wall, that's that's in Rosemont. I know exactly where that is in the building, by the way, at, at Allstate Arena. I'm like, wait a minute, they're going to tape from from SmackDown and put interview uh, interview segments on Raw, like. They're still from Chicago. Wait a minute. That's not, that's not live. Wait a minute. I know that wall anywhere. That's in the, the right corner of the building near the bathroom. Never mind. But but, but I just I still I, can't I, believe they had a WrestleMania in that building, by the way. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin's favorite building. You know that, right? Like this is his favorite. Arena. I did not know that. No. No, he's it, it's it's you can look it up. He says it's his favorite building because there is a wood ceiling, like the, the sound yep. bounces off the wood. And so that's and so it, it stays in the arena, it doesn't go out to the concourse. It's the loudest arena once I mean when it's hot. Of course, you'll never get that now. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's WWE, so you're not gonna get that kind of noise anymore. But uh, but he says when in the 90s, he said there was nothing like it because of how loud loud it was. So I wrote down Roman, I have Moxley second, I have Okada third, I have Cody Rhodes fourth. Okay, so the other names I have written down, I think just, we've talked about it, I think it deserves credit for it, Jericho and the reinvention. Like, everything we've seen this year, like, he continues to do it. We saw the Lionheart stuff. We see what he's doing with JAS, yeah. like, you know, starting to build stuff last night with uh, Ricky Starks. So I think he deserves some recognition. You mentioned Roman being the top guy, but, like, how much that is due to Sammy? Like, that had the year he's had, which, like, you brought up earlier, Gabe, Johnny Knoxville to now the main event storyline all in the same calendar year that goes, you know, sort of unnoticed at times. And the other guy that sort of CM Punk gave us earlier in the year and from a wrestling standpoint has been there is Dax. Like as much as we talk about the tag team wrestling with FTR, he also had, you know, taking on Cash Wheeler, taking on Adam Cole, taking on Punk, taking on Osprey. He loses all of them, but he had all those matches also. So he's someone that should be in the mix. 
Yeah, I mean, he was never going to be, you know, wrestler of the year. Right. But I, I understand giving him a special little shout out, you yeah. know, because he he did put on a lot of entertaining matches, whether it was the tag team, whether it was the single stuff that he did. But he's just, to me, it came down, like, again, I, I guess the way I approached this, I took a look at the two top wrestlers and the two top promotions. So in WWE, Bianca, Bianca's on top of WWE, Britt's on top of AEW, Mox on top of AEW, Roman on top of, of WWE. And and that's that's the way I guess I looked at this. I, it just became a two-horse race in both of those categories for me. Dax Harwood is the young lady that comes to the bar. And you see her every week and she either changes her hair to get your attention or she has new makeup to get your attention or she has a new outfit to get your attention. Every week you see her and she looks so, like someone different. You're like, why does she keep looking at me? Why does she keep changing her hair? Why does she keep? Because that's what Dax was doing every week. Like, uh-huh. look at me. I'm in these banger matches. Yeah, but you're losing them all. So that, thank you, thank you for the, thank you for showing me. Like you're trying to get my attention. I, I see you over there, man. But I'm not going to find Danielson's dream. Yeah. Yeah. Bagger matches and lose. <laughs> He's probably jealous of Dax. <laughs> like I appreciate all these Bret Hart, you know, like dedication matches, and I will give him credit though because it wasn't like these are squash matches. I just yeah. wish he would have won a few. I mean, what, what what do you think? What do you think Wheeler feels about that? I always wonder. Have you guys ever thought about this? Like, you see your partner go out there, and he's always banged up. I mean, he's just got – he looks like Stone Cold in his prime, right? He's banged up and at the knee brace. You ever wonder what Cash thinks about all that? Like, here I am in the back again, watching my tag team partner. And Mm. the weird part is Cash has shown he can go. So, like, I forgot this even happened, but looking back to his stuff, remember they faced each other in the Owen tournament. Yeah. Like, they had a one-on-one match, and it was a hell of a match. So, like, Cash not getting that opportunity is weird. But, yeah, I think he has to realize at this point, like, ah, crap, I'm Janetti. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, don't think they're, I don't think they're ever breaking up there. So he, he doesn't have to worry about going through, you know, the barbershop window at any point. <laughs> I don't think FTR is breaking up at this point. Yes, I see you over there. And I'm still not going to give you my phone number. <laughs> I see you. Yes, yes. Nice boots, but I'm still not going to talk to you. Yes, yes. Right. Nice jeans. Still not interested in you. Thank you, though. Honey. Hey, he's a star. Big loss last night again. Now in tag team wrestling. Another loss. Yes. Yeah, another loss. But at least this was a tag team loss. Yeah. You know, they lost to the ass boys. God Yeah, I mean, the only time FTR can get on AEW television, they're losing. I, right. I don't understand it. This will be the peeling off of every championship now, right into yeah. 2023. I think this is where they're like, okay, we need to heal up after all of this, and we'll see you in the indies. I think that yeah. that's but Longer conversation, but that doesn't make any sense. Like, how do you not? How do you not renew those guys? How do you not bring, ha, have those guys on your card? They want to be in AEW, but you just don't use them. And then Miro says, "Hey, hold my beer." How how you how you allow Cody to walk away, William Regal to walk away, and then if you just let FTR walk away, like I don't know what you're doing at this point. Oh well, what this is why WWE is my promotion of the year. <laughs> See. <laughs> Yeah, it's making a lot more sense. Because this, but by the way, you guys' promotion of the year, AEW, is is a place where now some of those veterans that were once in WWE want to go back. Yeah, but that's the thing with WWE though. Like they released all those names, also they just happen to have them back now. Like Bray was released, Cesaro was released, like Dakota Kai, like some of these names have been released. They just happen to come back now. So that's the only difference there because well, of the different help. ownership. You, you got Jonah back on Monday or whatever you want to call him now. Bronson Reed. Yeah, there you well, go. That, 
Boy, that went over like a fart in synagogue, did it? I mean, here's 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 Jonah coming back, and people in Des Moines like, who's this guy? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, like, how? I'm surprised, Jonah. Like, you you just beat Osprey. Like New Japan let you beat Osprey, and now you've got to be second fiddle to the Miz. You helping him getting Gucci bags down from the ceiling? That's what you decided to come back for. Do you know how many sidekicks that Miz has had in his career? He's uh-huh. had like five or six of them. Like, like, so you want to be part of this package again? We just went through this with Ciampa. We went through this with Damian Sandow. We went like, do you know how many different guys that Miz has had? To Alex Riley. Alex Riley, <laughs> who's who's returning, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, I mean, so the the whole thing with Miz is he's got to have a sidekick. So you're gonna do go through this again, another sidekick? This nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. What do you guys want to see? We'll end this show with this. What do you want to see? Do you have a prediction going forward in 2023? Roach, you want to go first? Because I have a couple things rattling around. The main thing I want to see, and we talk about WWE, we mentioned it a lot. I want the belts off of Roman, but I want it to make sense. Like, I want to have that next star, and then that star beats Chase. Like, I feel confident in AEW from a main event storyline standpoint that you have MJF with the belt, people chasing him all year, you got me. I'm in. MJF in a big-time feud, you got me. I want to see that next contender. I want to see Roman drop the belt. It's cool to see him be the champ and, it, you know, all these numbers. I want to see someone else at this point. Yeah, I, I'm with that one. And I wish – what my ultimate wish is that Triple H can come up with a way to keep – at least one of the belts on it, like trying to figure out a way to keep both belts on Roman to me is going to be really just one of the two is going to be really hard because part of it is he's controlling everything. And now you're just controlling one thing probably on SmackDown, but you have to find a way to me to step one is finding a sensical way to split the championships, both tag team and, um, and you're both top championships as well. So you have tag team champions on raw, you have a champion on raw, tag team champions on SmackDown and a champion on SmackDown. For me, for AEW, what I want to see, I want to see the continual build of Jungle Boy and Ricky Starks. I think those are the two baby faces that are going to be kind of lifted up. And I want to see one of those two guys take the championship off of MJF, maybe at all by all out. We'll, we'll say all out. So we went through a lot of things, guys, and we we hit on Vince McMahon retiring, quote unquote, from the WWE back in July. We saw Jim Crocker Promotions come back just for Ric Flair's last match. We saw 205 Live shut down. Uh, we saw AEW Dynamite premiering on TBS. We saw Battle of the Belts on TNT. We saw the NWA uh, with their own YouTube show, NWA USA. Ring of Honor is back. It was bought by Tony Khan. The CM Punk Young Bucks Omega fight. Um, so a lot of things have, have happened in 2022. I think in 2023, guys, there's going to be a little bit of a struggle for Tony Khan to figure out what um, what the next platform will be for um, Ring of Honor and for AEW. There's going to be there's a lot of issues going on uh, internally with Discovery and Turner as far as like all the cuts they're making and and all the layoffs and all the firings that they've made. I'm wondering whether or not there's going to be a renewal. There will be TV renewals that will be up. 
I think I believe AW next year and late 2023 2024 the WWE as far as USA package. So I'm interested in finding out if Tony Khan has another uh, card up his sleeve. Because say for instance they don't want wrestling. And by the way, Discovery Turner has every right to say you guys are doing a lot of swearing here. You're not. You have a sloppy shop at times. The action's good. The numbers are are are. It's steady. It's not rising. It's steady. Their ratings. So I'm wondering if there's another card up the sleeve of Tony Khan as far as who else would want that brand? Who else would want to have AEW TV? Is it ESPN? You know, like, is it someone else? What is it Paramount? Who wants the AEW brand if they cannot come to a deal? Because that's coming up next year. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, I don't see Disney like wanting this version of AEW. I don't think Disney's no. a fan of uh, Mother Effers being dropped on their uh, television network. So no. that might uh, work against them in that regard. Yeah. And I think there is just something overall to just development. And, you know, whether it be Young Stars, to your point, Gabe, I think, you know, Tony did a good job listening to this show and doing Starks versus Jericho. I think that's the right next move for him, continuing to elevate him and not just saying, like, hey, you had a great match. All right, we'll see you in a month. So, like, continue to build. If someone's hot, don't take them off TV for two weeks. Put them back out there. Find something for them to do. And the acclaimed is a perfect example of that. Like, oh, this scissoring thing's really going over well. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe we should, you know, shut them down for a week. Or you put them on TV every week, and now you got a popular shirt, and all of a sudden everyone in the crowd can craft homemade scissors. So just having yeah. that continuity and being with the build, I think, is the important part. That yeah, that will but, help them. Yeah, that will help them to establish what's going to be next for a television deal. That's that's important. Like if they're not on Turner, like where are they going to go? That, that's that's right. that's something that's really important to me was, as a wrestling fan. Yeah, I was just trying to rack my brain of okay. Sure, you could probably come up with a deal the way that Impact has one with access. But how many people? I don't have access. Like you being on TBS and TNT is so beneficial for them because it's so it's a part of so many of the basic cable packages whether whether it's basic cable through the the traditional sense or we're talking about YouTube TV Hulu live things like that where it's just a part of those packages you know that's what you you have to be easily accessible and that's how you're able to grow your wrestling brand so if they, I, I don't know of anybody that would be as easily accessible as Turner has been for them that they would be able to go to if TBS, TNT, Discovery decided, no, we're not that interested. Like, I don't know where they go. Because, yeah, Disney's not an option. Like, ESPN's got plenty of college sports that they can play on Wednesday nights and Friday nights or NBA games on Wednesday nights that they have as well. It just doesn't make sense to me for, for, for Disney to be involved with that. So Turner Discovery has to be the home for AEW. They've got to find a way to make it work. And AEW also, by being on Turner, gets that sort of accidental free advertising. You're watching the NBA, you're watching the NHL, you're watching right. baseball playoffs, you're watching Big Bang Theory, and you see an AEW commercial. And it's like, oh, what's this? Like, oh, I recognize that Jericho guy or whoever they put on to sort of be that face. Like, that's something I think can't be matched at this time. Well, their 2023 calendar will tell a great story, too, because they're going to be in San Francisco for yep. Revolution. They're going to be in Seattle in January. They're going to be in Los Angeles again. They're going to be in some cities that they haven't been before to try to expand the brand, which is good for them. It's, it's And they'll so be overseas. Good. And overseas, too, in uh, England, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's that's great for them. They It's something that's needed. And just, you know, as we close, we got to just make sure that people know you can, you can plant your flag wherever you want, WWE fan, AW fan, New Japan, whatever. But it's really important for for wrestling to be everywhere. And the yep. indies are, are thriving now because you can go to your backyard and be able to see 
pretty high quality wrestling because it'll be some veteran that you hadn't thought about in a while. And that's leading the card and it's this drawing money and drawing fans. So it's important for those that just like, you know, screw AEW, I'm a WWE guy or vice versa, man. It's good for everybody. It's good for yep. everybody to be able to wrestle. It's great that we can have a variety of things to talk about because back in the day when WCW closed, it was just WWE. It was stagnant and John Cena had to eat a lot of shit. Because uh-huh. it was just him and nobody else. And so I'm glad we have a variety to talk about. I completely agree. And you talk about planting your flag. I'll plant my flag prediction for 23. The moment of the year will be the Sami Zayn world title win. Come on, man. Flag. Like, you just couldn't flag. help yourself? Like, I, I understand. I see your flag. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I see it. But, like, small you flag. realize that's not actually yeah, going to happen, right? Like, you understand. There we go. There we go. You understand it's not. Slow build. Slow build. It's coming. <laughs> How many more ideas would have to fall through oh, for Triple H to pull the trigger on Sami Zayn? We're doing so well. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then this nonsense again. That's a great way to end the year. Just, just yeah, Sami Zayn. I mean, I, yeah, no, no pizza man thoughts. No, 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 no thoughts on the pizza man. He had his moment, but there'll be someone else. Like maybe there's another food cuisine to tackle. But he had a pretty big twenty-three or twenty-two. I don't know if he's top topping it. So good luck to everyone else in the food field. There is still one more week in 2022. So next week here on GKW, we will have our best of interviews. A lot of great interviews that we had in our first year here at GKW, including Johnny Gargano, talked with Anthony Bowens, among others. You can hear all that back next week right here on GKW. Happy holidays, everybody.